finish off a series this morning. We've been uh, doing a series on 1 Peter 2 verse 9, which is very familiar. I've got that slide, please, Manny. Next slide. We've been rehearsing this for weeks. It's been seamless in rehearsals. Like, okay. You've got your Bible, you want to turn to 1 Peter 2 verse 9, 10 and 11. It's a great passage, very well known for most of us. And Peter writes these amazing words to the church. Fantastic. Uh, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. God's special possession. That you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Next verse. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. If you've got the authorised version, who's got the authorised version with them today? Two of three of you, old-fashioned. There's a word that appears there, in the AV, and it says that we are a peculiar people. And sometimes when I look around this room, I think that is really apt. You're a peculiar-looking bunch, especially the back row. So um, sometimes I met Christians, and they really try hard to be peculiar. It seems like they have a gift in being peculiar. They wear socks with sandals. But you know, the word peculiar doesn't mean what we think it means. In modern English, it means weird, strange, or bizarre. But the word in the original language does not mean those things. It means something quite incredible. It means this. The primary thought is one of selection, preciousness, endearing, something exceedingly precious and valuable to be prized and diligently preserved. You are precious to God. You are precious to God. James, come and stand here for a second. Right. It literally means, in the Greek, to circle about. The word peculiar means to circle about. And what God is saying is, this is my son, and God circles around this person saying, this is my son. Circles around. So God says, this is my son. And he circles around you and me, saying to everybody, look, this is my son. Thank you, James. Hold on. Years of practice. And three things God says. He says to the powers of darkness, you better watch it because this is my boy. It says that every opposition in your life, you want to touch him, you've got to come through me. You are God's divine possession. And he's so proud of you, like a lion, he roars over your life. This is my child. This is my son. This is my daughter. You better not touch him, because he's mine. Number two, he says it with pride in his heart. When... I came out of the hospital with Jonathan in my arms. 
as a young baby. I said to everyone, look, look, this is my son. This is my son. And God is so proud of you today. He, he, he's beside by you. He loves you. He adores you. And he's so proud. He wants to show you off to the world. This is my son. Isn't that great? That when he holds you in his arms, he wants to show you off. But the third thing I want to say this morning, he wants to say to you, you are my son. God wants to confirm it, he wants to declare it, he wants to reaffirm in our lives that we are precious to him. And two occasions in the ministry of Jesus, in Matthew 3 verse 17 and Matthew 17 verse 5, the voice of heaven appears and echoes around Jesus and God says, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. At this baptism, before Jesus did any miracle, or any sign of wonder, before he preached any gospels, he declared over his life, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. And we think we have to do this and do that and work hard to gain God's approval and to gain God's pleasure. But guess what? You're, he's already pleased with you. When Jonathan was born again, I automatically loved him. Before he could speak or walk or do maths or do English, I loved him. And God today loves you before you've done anything to earn his love. He's chosen to set his affection upon you. You are dearly loved and valued and cherished by God. And it says in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He is a perfect Father. Some of us have had great fathers, some of us have had bad fathers, but the Father we have in heaven, He is so perfect, He is so loving, He is so kind, He is so generous, and He holds you in His arms. You are safe and secure in the arms of His love. The Bible says, round about us are the everlasting arms. He embraces, he holds us because we belong to him. And today we need to find our security as individuals, not in our position, because positions come and go. We don't want to find our security in our performances because our performances fluctuate from day to day. I don't want to also set our security in our popularity. Because you'll be really popular one day and really unpopular the next day. Believe me. We set our affection, we set our security and our, our, our sense of identity, not in our position, not in our performance, not in our popularity, in, our, in the parental love of God in our lives. That his love for you never changes, never alters, never fades. And therefore we can be secure in that love. Isn't that great news? So often we try to be something we're not. We try to make ourselves pleasing to God, but he already delights in you. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 says this, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples, God says to Israel. It was because he loved you. God loves you because he loves you. 
Write that down. That's really amazing, that. It doesn't love you because of your performance or your ability or your skills or your wholeness or your purity. He loves you because he loves you. And that is the base of our living. When we understand that we are loved by the eternal God, it sets that burning in our heart. It makes us want to live right. You see, we need to know that we are secure in him. There's a wonderful passage in Hebrews 13, verse 5, which is rich in the visual language of the Greek. It says this, I will never, never, never leave you or abandon you. For he himself has said, and his statement is on record, I will not, I will not cease to sustain you and uphold you. I will not, I will not, I will not let you down. Such, I mean, in the Greek, it's just packing all these negatives, all these statements. I will not, I will not, I will not ever leave you. If you ever doubt that God will abandon you, let me tell you, he will never leave you. Your name is engraved in the palms of his hands. How can the, a mother may forget her baby, says the scriptures, but I will never forget you. This God of all creation is enamored with love for me and you. It's overwhelming him. And it says that we are his treasured possession. His treasured possession. The verse before in Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 says this, For you are a people holy unto the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his treasured possession. His treasured possession. Understand this today. You are treasured by God. You're not a nobody. You're not a nothing. You're not a somebody. You are, you are somebody in him. God just delights in you. You are precious and valued to him. You know, Jesus says in John 15 verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you. He has chosen, the word in the Greek, eklego, to select out, to pick out, to choose specifically. It didn't get you by random choice. It didn't put you out looking at it bad. Oh no, we've got Aiden Dexter, what are we going to do with him? He looked around the scope of humanity and he chose and he called you by name. You've been hand-picked, hand-selected by God. I would have picked somebody else. <laughs> But God has handpicked each one of us. He's called you by name. He knows your failures and your faults and your warts. He knows it all. But he's chosen you. And as he chooses you, it begins a process of remaking you and reshaping you into his image. None of us are yet the finished product, are we? We're all on a journey. None of us are perfect. But we, are, we have become the handiwork. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion. I'm not complete yet. I'm not perfect yet. I've got a long way to go, but God is working in us his great and perfect plan. So we're chosen, we're handpicked, but we are valued. In today's society, the value we place upon ourselves is, is forced upon us by the world, by what people think of us, what people say about us. 
We measure our worth by what, where we stand on the strata of society, how much we earn, how good-looking we are, how slim we are, how fat we are. We measure our value on the scale of this world. But God says, you are valued. You are loved. You are precious in my sight. There's a great scripture in Zephaniah 3.17 that says this, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you, and he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with singing. The great God of creation dances and joins in joyful celebration over you. If we just got a glimpse of the heart of God for our lives, for how much He valued us, it would revolutionize our thinking. Malachi 3.17 says this, On the day I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them as the Father has compassion on his son who serves him. See, God's intention was always to redeem for himself a people that belonged to him. He's always looked around the face of the earth trying to gather a people who will be known for his love, known for his heart, and be able to reflect that heart into the world. He's always looking for people who will become his very own. Titus 2.14 Christ came down the cross to redeem a people who will be his very own. You and me belong to God. What's the most precious thing in your life? What is the most treasured possession that you have in your life? I've been clearing out of my study at home for the past three months. <laughs> I'm down to the final few boxes. In the final few boxes are really important things to me like my 45 collection. Who knows what a 45 is? A, a single record. Before they had CDs, a bit of vinyl. In that box there was some, a picture of my father who died in 2005. In that box is a, a letter from Diane when we were young and in love. Last week. I also found my very first sermon on radio cassette. So for a small fee, this to be preaching when I was 17 years old. But I wouldn't advise it. But it may be something's pressed to you like a wedding ring or a bit of jewellery. See, the things that are important to us aren't monetary value, they are sentimental value. Because there is a heart attachment to that thing. And God has a heart attachment to you. Talk about jewelry. In the authorized version of Malachi 3.17, it says, They will be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. When I make up my jewels. Are you a jewel today? Some of us are diamonds in the rough. Some of us are going to cut into our lives and start to shape us and mould us. 
but there's a quality inside us because we are called of God, we're chosen of God, we are precious to Him. Isn't that great? There's a wonderful passage in Psalm 17, verse 8. It says that you are the apple of His eye. You are the apple of His eye. And in other words, in the Hebrew it says, you are the little person, the little man, the little woman of his eye. When you gaze into someone's eye, when you're very close, you can see your whole reflection in their pupil. It's almost as if God's whole gaze is took up with you. It's almost as if God's whole attention is absorbed and revolved around you. You do know that if God... When God sent his son, he was willing to die just for each one of us. If there's only one person here that will respond to his message, that would be enough. But God loves us so much. We are the compass of his love. We fall in the gaze of the almighty God. Each one of us is a unique possession. We are a people belonging to God. Isn't that good news? Got the bad news? And next slide, please. Manny, wake up. Hey! This is the famous footballer. Who knows who he is? Kaka, thank you. Ricardo Kaka. A famous Brazilian footballer. A man of God. And every time he plays, underneath his Brazilian football team shirt, Here's another sweatshirt that says, I belong to Jesus. You know, it's great to know that we belong to Jesus. It's great to know the assurance and the comfort of that love in our lives. But this morning, I want to tell you, there's a demand. There's an expectation. Because if you belong to Jesus, then you can't belong to something else. If you belong to Jesus, you can't belong to the world. If you belong to Jesus, you can't belong to your heritage or your culture. You're born again. You're made new in Christ. And guess what? If you belong to Jesus, you can't belong to yourself. I am not my own. I don't belong to me anymore. I've been bought with a price. And me and you, my friend, we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You have bought us a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I am not my own. I don't belong to me. I can't set my agenda. I can't set my will. I can't set my way. I'm his to lead. You see, the very mention of that phrase, I am not my own, militates against the, the ways of this world. In this world, you'll meet people and they are exercising their rights. They are demanding their way. They are demanding their rights. That's the way of the world. But the way of the kingdom is this. You lay down your rights. You become nothing. You give up your rights. You say, God, I'm going to lay it all down. Because as you do that, God is able to lift you up. If you're forcing your way, if you're pushing your way, if you're making your way through life, trying to do it your way, you're going to fail. In God's kingdom, you're going to fail. 
If you say that, God, I'm going to lay down my rights, lay down my will, lay, lay down my way, and take up your cause, God, he will exalt you, he will lift you up, he will take the place you've never been before, to do things you never dreamed you'd do. If you give it up. But the whole world says you've got to fight for your rights, you've got to fight for your way. But God says, lay it all down. The great hymn, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. This message of Christianity is about us giving everything to him. See, John the Baptist was a fantastic man. He had a great ministry. People came in their thousands to hear John preach. Soldiers came, the poor came, the broken came in out to the desert to hear John preach. And they said, isn't this amazing? This man is so great. He could be the Messiah. And he had a popularity that was amazing. He had a performance that was amazing. He had a position that was amazing. But when he caught a glimpse of Jesus, when he caught a glimpse of Jesus, he said, this is the one. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the Baptist says, he must increase and I must decrease. This is the, the heartbeat of a Christian man and woman of God. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's not about people seeing us or knowing our name. It's about people seeing Jesus. I want to become invisible so people can see Jesus in me. We must decrease so that Jesus can be seen in us. In Luke 22, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Hours before his crucifixion, he says, Lord, you can take this cup away from me. Take it away. Then he says, yet not my will be done, but mine. That moment in the ministry of Jesus when he just chose again to lay it all down at the feet of his father and say, Lord, have it all. Your way, your will. You know, we make decisions to follow Christ when we first put our hands up as an appeal and give our hearts to Jesus. But every day I make a decision to follow Christ. Every day I decide, this day I'm going to live my life for Jesus. I did it 25 years ago for the first time, but I did it this morning for the millionth time. God, today, I want to live for you. I want you to use me for your glory. See, it's at that point of surrender. It's at that point where we give up our dreams, our aspirations, our goals, that we begin to allow God to unfold his plan for our lives. Someone once said to me, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. If he's not Lord of everything, he's not Lord at all. The word Lord in Greek means master, ruler, one who has authority. Who's the boss of our lives today? Who's ruling our lives? Is it us? Is it him? See, I use this in our beginner's discipleship course. Some people use God as a spare wheel. 
They go down the motorway of life, they have a puncture, they're in trouble, they get the spare wheel out and they get back on their feet again. God is there to help you up on your feet when you fall over. Most of us use God when we're in trouble. We turn to him in our times of need and failure and mistakes. But God doesn't want to be our spare wheel, he wants to be our steering wheel. He wants to take control of our lives so we avoid the potholes, we don't avoid the pin tacks, we avoid the things that can do damage in our lives. Not just losing God as an escape or a help, it's allowing him to be Lord and Master of our lives. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, this is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. All that is about Paul has been laid in the ground. All that, all that was about Paul has gone. He doesn't belong to himself anymore. See, the cross is a powerful weapon. <laughs> if you saw someone carrying a cross in first century Palestine, you knew they were going on a one-way journey to death. The cross isn't just a chain that we wear around our necks, not an emblem we wear around our necks. The cross does not give us a makeover. The cross does not help us be more positive about our lives. The cross does not improve our attitude, does not make us believe in ourselves more. It does not help us reach our full potential. The cross does none of those things. The cross unflinchingly, unapologetically, without any qualm or without hesitation, slays us and kills us. The cross comes to put an end to our old life. So our new life can begin. Most of us want the new life without the death. But we can't live until we first learn to die. Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Our next point, because we are called and chosen, because we are his own possession, we don't belong to ourselves, but also we have to be distinct in the world. The curse of the church in the 21st century has been its desire to be popular and its desire to be liked. We have tried with all our heart to fit in and to blend into the world. <laughs> but it's time to clash. <laughs> Malachi 3 verse 18. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. It's time to be different. It's time to be unashamed of the fact that we are different. Unashamed of the fact that we march to a different drum. We live a different way. We're called to be different. 1 Peter 2 verse 11 says this, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. A 
foreigner is someone who travels to a different country. When they land in the airport, they're surrounded by a different language, a different colour of skin, a different culture, different customs. They are alien to that culture. They don't fit in because they've just come from another world into this country. And we are Christians. And we're in this world, but we are not of it. We're not meant to absorb the culture. We're not meant to absorb the culture and the customs of this world. We're not meant to absorb the language or the behavior of this world. We're called to be different. We're called to be salt in society, light in the darkness. But if we allow the values of the world to infiltrate our lives, we become no different to the world. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we are surrounded by men and women who do things a certain way, behave a certain way, act a certain way, but we are called to be different. We've made our home in this world. It's not our home. We're just passing through. See, holiness for me is not where you go. It's what you do when you get there. In many years gone by, it was, it was against the law of the church to go to a football match. Or to chew gum. It was against the law of the church to have fun or watch TV on the Sunday. But holiness is not what you abstain from. It's how you live in those moments. It's your character that pours out of your life that's holiness. But when you go to the pub, you don't get drunk. You behave godly and righteously. When you're at the football match, you don't swear at the ref. Lord, help me. We are here to influence the world. But so often we've allowed ourselves to be infiltrated by the world. We need to say, God, I want to live differently. I want to be sold out for you. I want to give my life to please you and, uh, and follow you in every way. See, religion is great, but it's not enough. See, I want to follow biblical principles, not religious expectations. See, the religious people of the world will put expectations on you to do this and do that, but let's not go beyond the written word of God. What God says in his word is our standard, not the opinions of men. We're called to live biblically holy and godly lives. The Bible says to us to, to abstain from sinful desires. It means to hold ourselves back, to keep ourselves back from allowing these temptations to infiltrate our hearts. We've been called today out of darkness into his life. And my last point this morning, we'll be pleased to know. The demands of holiness. Holiness is an inside job. It's not about imposing rules and regulations upon us to do this and to do that. It's about finding a chain in our hearts. It's about being a different person on the inside that no longer wants to do the things that we used to do. And 
I've told the story a million times. Jesus preaches off Peter's boat. There's a miraculous catch of fish. And Peter cries to the Lord, Lord, leave me alone. I'm a sinful man. See, God wants to change us on the inside. He doesn't want us to be conformed to a pattern of lifestyle. He wants to be conformed inwardly into his likeness. You can't strive to be more holy. Lord, I want to be more holy. I want to try harder. It's not about trying. It's about surrender. And the more surrender we are to Christ, the more we lay ourselves down at the foot of the cross, the more his holiness is outworked in our lives. There's a wonderful picture in 2 Kings chapter 2. The people of a city cried out to Elijah, Look, Lord, this town is well situated. As you can see, the wa- but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Elijah replied, Bring me a bowl, put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And he went to the spring and threw salt into the spring. As he did that, the water of the land was healed. We have everything going for us on the outside. Everything going for us on the outside. But God wants to pour salt onto our hearts, to purify our hearts, to cleanse us from the inside out. That we don't want to do the things that we used to do. We ask Manny to come back as we draw his meeting to a close. We are his treasured possession. We belong to him. We can't belong to the world. We can't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. If we belong to him this morning, we have to be different from the world. Your attitude, your conversation, your relationships have to be different. But this doesn't change by hard work. It changes by surrender. It changes by giving ourselves away to God. I'm going to conclude with a song that we played on my first Sunday after my induction. This song called I Give Myself Away. You need to understand this morning that we are called to be His divine possession. We're called to deny ourselves, to lay aside what we want for His sake. We're called to be distinct from the world. But the answer to that is a full surrender. But actually just to remain seated for a few moments as we sing the song through in conclusion. If this morning you want to make a full surrender to Christ, you want to lay down your agenda, lay down your pride, lay down your will and say, Lord, you can have it all. I want you to stand as we sing this song. As you stand, you're saying to God, God, I want to give you everything that I am. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of forcing things. I just want to give it all over to you. As we sing this song in conclusion, if you want to give Jesus everything, just stand as we sing. Lord Jesus, I thank you. You gave everything for us. You held nothing back when you went to that cross. Lord, help us in these moments to give you our everything.
to give you our all, to surrender, surrender our will, surrender our way, that you may have your will and your way in our life. In Jesus' name.